0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: If you've bought into the idea, as many have in our society and this generation, that people are basically good, that people basically are trying to do the right thing, they're just struggling to, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. In fact, we can't even know our own hearts. And so he asked the question, and who can know them? And God says, I know them, I test the hearts.
0: Today we're in part two of pastor sam's message defiled we're in matthew chapter 15 and we'll begin in verse 7. this is an important message for us that calls each of us to allow god to examine our own hearts show us any way in which they do not line up with god's will knowing that he's going to see everything
1: so the issue that's presented to jesus is outward it's ceremonial it's about an observance of a tradition but the issue on the heart of Jesus is inward, and it has to do with the commands of God. And I'd suggest it's always going to be that way. God's Word has a lot to say about how we act and how we talk and how we present ourselves. But, but the issue with God is always the inside first and then the outside. We have a natural tendency to focus on the outside. Why? Well, it's easier to change our appearance than to change our reality. It's easier to learn the stuff and, and go through the motions than it is to be a transformed person. Let's face it. God is doing an amazing thing in making us into people more like his son Jesus. That's a difficult work even for Almighty God. Can he do it? Yes, he's promised to. He says, he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. But while that work's taking place, we want to make sure that we're not putting on a show, that we're not putting on a front, that that we're honest about who we are and the struggles we go through. Why? Then then people who care and are mature can reach out to us and redirect us and encourage us to go the direction God wants us to. Well, God's commandment, honor, they weren't. God's commandment, take care of your parents, they weren't. And then he nails it in verse 7 by saying, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me, or their heart is far from me, excuse me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He calls them hypocrites. That word simply comes from a word that we would translate today, actor. There's not necessarily or isn't anything necessarily wrong with being an actor, as long as everyone knows you're acting. If you're in a play, you're supposed to act. But in real life, you're supposed to be for real. And what they were doing is they were putting on a show, they were wearing a mask, they were pretending to be pious and spiritual while all the time their hearts were corrupt and their lifestyles well at least from what god could see looking on their hearts was corrupt so here's the heart of the problem it was a problem of the heart the people drawing near with their mouth honoring with their lips but hearts were far from him now jeremiah 17:9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked And until we come to grips with that fact, well, we'll never cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you've bought into the idea, as many have in our society and this generation, that people are basically good, that people basically are trying to do the right thing, they're just struggling to. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. In fact, we can't even know our own hearts. And so he asked the question, and who can know them? And God says, I know them. I test the hearts and I test the minds. So since God knows my heart and the word reveals my heart, well, then I can be honest before God in my prayers. And I learned this very early on. It's the best to just say, Lord, You know, you know, you know everything about me. You know my thoughts, you know my attitudes, you know my actions. I can fool people, but I could never fool you. And so we don't go to him and say, Lord, you know, I'm trying my best. Or Lord, you know, I'm struggling with this. No, you just go to the Lord and say, Lord, I haven't tried at all. Or I've made an appearance of trying. Years ago, I was counseling a, a couple. We don't really do counseling anymore. We will do, you know, tell you what the Bible says about your problem. And if you don't want to deal with that, what can we do to help you? But, but, but I was talking to this couple and, and they were coming to me and, and they were coming regularly, but the guy, and it had to do with some alcohol and drug problems and some abuse that resulted from those issues, those habits. And they were coming to me week after week. And, and finally, I looked at him and I said, you know what? There's no change. Nothing's happening. And he goes, hey, I'm doing way better. And I go, in what way? How so? He goes, I've been coming to these sessions every week. And I'm like, yeah, wasting my time and wasting yours. Why? Because getting help isn't going to tell someone, yeah, I still need help. I still need help. I haven't changed. I, I'm trying to change. I, I really want to change. I've observed that people that really want to change do. That's just a fact. I've watched people go in and out of rehabs, come out and go right back into the lifestyle that sent them to the rehab in the first place. Am I against rehab? No, not at all. But if you go, you better come out a changed person or you've wasted your time, your energy, and somebody's money. But but here's the thing. People that want to change, they do. They want to stop something, they can. They want to start something, you can. But... To pretend in our own minds, well, I'm somewhere I'm not or I'm doing something I'm not because, well, that makes me feel better about me, That the effort. He, I want to succeed, not just make an effort. I, I want to change, not just make a pretense of desiring to change. And I pray that's what's going on inside each and every one of you as well. Well, they were worshiping, you see, outwardly, singing the songs, praising the Lord, honoring him with their lips, but he says their hearts were far from him. And their worship, vain and fruitless. Their teaching, he says, well, instead of God's word, they were teaching the doctrines, or as doctrines, the commandments of men. Now, This still happens, but understand the context in which Jesus is speaking these words. In his day, most religious teachers were very fond of quoting other religious teachers. It would be rare to have someone say, Thus says the Lord. Well, That might be a historical thing too. See, that's what Jeremiah said. And well, they bruised and battered him. They put him in a dungeon. I mean, a lot of bad stuff happened to the guys who stood up and said, thus says the Lord. So by this day, people are saying, well, as Rabbi Shimei says and Rabbi Hillel says, and they say, well, what do you say? Well, I kind of like what Shimei says on that. And well, I kind of go with Hillel on this. And really people were not taking responsibility for what they taught. They weren't willing to get out there and put themselves on the line and say, thus says the Lord. But that's what God requires of us. Not that we say, well, Pastor Sam says, or I heard on the radio, or hey, even Billy Graham says. You know what I love about Billy Graham? He says, the Bible says. Man, that's what people need to know. That's what we all need to know. What does the Bible say? And when... We get into the commandments of men or the traditions of men or the commentaries say this or the commentaries say that or this religious leader says this. What does the Lord have to say is what we really need to be asking. What does the Word have to say? I love all those years I was at Calvary Costa Mesa and I continue to listen to my pastor, Chuck Smith, regularly. Though I've been gone for over 20 years from down there now. I listen to him and and he always starts every study the same way. Let's turn in our Bibles too. And man, that's, that's what we need. We need to do that Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning. We need to do it every single night as well. We need to take our pocket Bible and be opening it at lunch. So people who are around us can say, hey, you're a Christian, right? Yeah. And what does the Bible say about, you know, That's what they really need to know. If they ask, what do you think about You need to say, you know what? Let me tell you what the Bible says about Because that's what was going wrong here. These guys, into the commandments of men, into the traditions of men, into the religious experience, but their hearts were far from the Lord. So for us, as believers, we need to know God's word. We need to obey God's word. And then we need to share God's word. The Bible says, preach the word, teach the word. And that's not just for pastors and elders and Sunday school teachers. That's something all of us have the opportunity to do and the responsibility to do. To know the word, to obey the word, and then to teach the word. If, By the way, if we don't do the middle, the obedience part, well... People will call us hypocrites. The Lord will certainly know the truth about us. And in any case, we got to move on or we won't get to the rest of what the Lord has stored up for us today. He called the multitude, verse 10, and said to them, Hear and understand. Now, take note of that because the disciples are going to struggle to understand this. The Pharisees and scribes totally get it and they're offended by it. But Jesus is actually talking to the multitudes with a view toward giving them wisdom in this area. And he'd be saying the same to us. Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth defiles a man. Now, he's talking spiritually, of course, but remember, they're focusing externally There were a lot of rules and regulations, and I'm sure some of you are thinking Leviticus 11. In fact, I'm sure most people are thinking, well, what about Leviticus 11? No, I know better. The the truth is a few of you may be familiar with the book of Leviticus, but it would be good if we all were. And, And in Leviticus 11, there were a bunch of rules and regulations regarding the things they could and could not eat. Now, some of those were for health reasons, Some of those, he gave yet another reason. He just said, I just want to set you apart. I want to make a difference between you and the people around you. And so if for no other reason, but that God just said it, he said, I don't want you to eat these things. These things are fine. So there were certain meats they could eat, other meats they couldn't. There were certain fish they could eat, the crustaceans, you know, the really good stuff, lobster and crab and all that, mussels. They couldn't eat that stuff. And so that was just a part of their dietary law. Now, here's what they thought. If I eat the forbidden stuff, well, then I've defiled myself. And here's, here's the, the heart of that matter. It wasn't the food itself that was defiling them. It was disregarding, disobeying the commandment of God not to eat that food. We know this because all the way back in the Garden of Eden, they were instructed, enjoy the garden, enjoy the fellowship. They could eat anything they wanted, but they couldn't eat of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you got to know there was nothing wrong with that fruit. There was nothing wrong with that tree in and of itself. Their sin was that they disregarded and disobeyed the commandment of God. And that sin brought death spiritually instantly. It brought death physically, and the both have passed on to all of mankind. But the problem with Adam and Eve wasn't that they ate bad fruit. It's they ate in disobedience to God. And so when God says, I don't want you to do this, or I don't want you to have that, it's not always that the activity itself is all that bad. It's that God is setting perimeters and he wants to see if we will obey him, if we'll walk in obedience to him. Now, Noah, pre-flood, had a different diet than post-flood. God sort of opened the doors, as it were, and said, hey, by the way, anything you want now, pretty much you can eat. Later, the dietary laws, the restrictions came about, some, as I shared, for health reasons, others for uh, other practical reasons. But... When we get to the book of Acts, there's a, a little bit of a, a lesson in all of this, as God shows us that the real issue is spiritual, not physical. He lets down this great sheet. Peter's on the roof, hungry, waiting for lunch, and, and sort of just in one of those, those spaces where he's, you know, daydreaming, and all of a sudden he sees this great sheet let down from heaven, and the Lord says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. I think that's become the motto for the Sportsman's Fellowship here. Rise, kill, and eat. They have it on everything. But Peter says, not so, Lord. No way, Lord. Why? I have never eaten anything uncommon. I've never eaten anything unclean. Now, that's a radical boast. Peter was saying, I'm righteous in regards to my dietary habits. And the Lord, though, in response to that, says, don't call what I've cleansed common. Don't call what I've cleansed unclean. Why? Because the lesson wasn't about food. It was about God accepting people that Peter considered unclean or common into the kingdom. Now, it's another whole thing, and and we're not going to be able to go there today, but I use it as, as an illustration simply to say this. Peter was fixated on the outward. And by the way, I'm sure there were lots of things on that sheet, not kosher. Peter's big chance to enjoy them. And the Lord just saying, listen, it's not about the outward. It's about the inward. And nothing God cleanses should be called unclean. Nothing God cleanses and no one God cleanses should be called common. So, As he deals with them, he says, Hey, it's what goes comes out of the mouth that defiles, not what goes into the mouth. Then the disciples came and said, Did you know, verse 12, the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, saying, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. He says, these scribes, these Pharisees, these leaders, you've offended them, Lord. And he says, hey, it's much worse than that. They're offended now. They'll be uprooted soon. Why? He said, my father didn't plant them. We studied through Matthew 13 together, and we've looked at these various parables, that wheat and the tares. In essence, he's saying, they're tares among the wheat, and my father will uproot them. Once more, he calls them blind leaders or blind guides. And you have to get the sense of this is willfully blind. It's not that they couldn't see. They'd chosen not to see. And again, the scripture warns us over and over to to open our eyes, to, to consider the truth, to respond. These guys were lovers of the darkness, as John would describe them, more than the light. They wouldn't come to the light because their deeds were evil and they didn't want them exposed. Well, Peter comes then, seeing that he's talking to the multitudes, he's saying, "And understand all this, these guys get it, because they realize he's talking about them. But Peter comes and he says, explain this parable to us. So Jesus, verse 16 says, are you also still without understanding? I think even Jesus was surprised sometime at how dense these guys were. That he had chosen him and he was discipling him and he was teaching him and he was modeling it for him. And they're like, We're still not getting it. And he's like, Yeah, I know. How can that be, you know? But, but here in verse 17, do you not yet understand whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? No explanation or, uh, you know, needed for that particular verse. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man. He's saying, what comes out? Our words, well, they defile us. And by the way, our words can and sometimes do defile others. Remember, to be defiled means to be rendered unfit for worship, for fellowship, or for service. And so he's saying, our words, because they come from the heart They have a defiling effect on us. And while James tells us our words should delight and and should direct, should edify and encourage, he he tells us that sometimes our words can be destructive and defiling, both to ourselves and to others. But remember and, and see again, Jesus says it's an issue of the heart. Those things which proceed from the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. Do you ever say something hurtful and say, well, I didn't really mean it, or I didn't mean to say it? Well, that may be true. You probably didn't mean to say it, especially if it's mean to say it. But but here's the deal. He says that's a heart problem. It's not just a tongue problem. It's not just, hey, I'm quick-witted, and I didn't grab that thought before it came out. No, it's it's like if we are biting and cutting sarcastic and, and cynical, if we are putting down and trashing people, then, then he says there's a problem, and it's a heart problem. It's not just a vocabulary problem. It's not just a, an attitude problem. It's a heart problem. For out of the heart, he says, and, and he takes it to its extreme, he says, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Now get this. He started with the fifth commandment honor your father and your mother. And now he says, the violation of the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth commandments all flow from a problem. In the heart. So if you struggle with evil thoughts, well, he says you have a heart problem. And if you struggle with hateful thoughts, knowing that that's the root of murder, you have a heart problem. And if you struggle with lustful thoughts, knowing that's the root of adultery and fornication, well, it's a heart problem, you see. It's not just the advertising, though that's a problem. It's not just the days in which we're living. Those are problems. No, it's our heart. Our heart. So if you are covetous and greedy, well, that's the heart of a thief. If, if you, well, bear false witness against others or blaspheme the Lord, well, again, problems of the heart. So if the problem is internal... And spiritual, the solution has got then to be spiritual as well. We're not going to be able to reason it out or, or just transform ourselves by changing the way we talk or the way we act. We need God to change our hearts. And, and so today, hey, if you're a believer, it's a simple message. You recognize somewhere in this, there are things God wants to change in you. And then it's just, Lord, be merciful and, and transform me. You know, David prayed, created me a clean heart, oh God, and, and a right spirit within me. But there's more. Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, God promises not just a cleaner heart or a, a, a you know better heart, he promises a new heart. He says, I'll replace that stony heart with the heart of flesh. And that should be our prayer. Lord, give me a heart like yours. Give me eyes like yours. Give me compassion like yours. Help me see and be to others what you see in them and, and what you'd be to them. And if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, you need to know that you're a guilty sinner and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And today, you're at a crossroads. I believe every believer should have something. I mean, if nothing else, that last list, there should be something to say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Transform me. Renew me. But if you're not a believer in Jesus, you are at a crossroads. And you need to decide today. Are you going to go on rationalizing and justifying and blaming and and looking outside of yourself for why things are well, the way they are, why you are the way you are. Because Jesus says, no, look, it's not out there. It's in here. And a new man, a new heart, a new life, a new focus, it all begins at the cross when you say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood for me. Thank you for your promise of forgiveness and and hope and life eternal.
0: Romans 3.10 tells us, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now while this might be a difficult truth for us, it is only when we can embrace it that we can stop thinking there is somehow righteousness in us. We can sincerely ask for God's mercy and then sincerely desire his work in our lives that will give us the righteousness of Jesus Christ.